going on, beautiful people? I'm sitting here watching um, a an interview that Paul McCartney just did with uh, James Dean Bradfield. It was about a three-minute-long clip. Um, I don't know if that was the extent of the video or the interview. I mean, it was the extent of the video, but I don't know if this was the full interview or not. So during the interview, the gentleman calls Michael Jacko and Paul goes, you mean Michael? Uh, let me have you guys listen to it. I was on the piano. Uh, you say, know say, say, sounds like a, man, a song that was starting on the piano to me. Yeah, I think I was. Yeah, But I had the guitar in case I wanted to show some, some line or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we just did it upstairs and it so, was... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It came very easily. Yeah. No, because I was quite excited to write with him. He was quite excited yeah. to write with me. So we were popping off each other. Yeah. And um, so we just we just did it. As I say, it, it was quite a short session, and we were in the same room, face to face. Surprised. I thought it was going to be a correspondence thing. No. It was no, no, no. It was. It was live, and. Um, yeah, we should just do it, and I just wrote the lyrics down, you know, and says, yeah. okay, that's it. And one of my other questions, it's an amazing vocal performance on the entire record, but it, did it shock you how close textually, textually your voice was to, to Jacko's voice? Did you have a problem trying to separate them? Because when you're with, with together, Michael? Yeah. yeah your voice no, was so close Particularly to on the new mix. It's insane. You can't tell kind no. of thing. Um, we so, we'll get to the new mix in a minute. So, um, the man says Jacko, and then Paul goes, Michael, he didn't say you mean Michael, or his name is Michael, but he said Michael, and there were some people in the comments of this, uh, of this, of this video and there was one person that said, I love that moment when the interviewer said Jacko and Paul corrected him and said Michael. That wasn't a correction, in my opinion. You guys let me know what you think. But I think it was a clarification. He wasn't defending Michael. I think that he was clarifying that <sighs> James was talking about Michael. Um, so for that, for James to just say Jacko so easily should help people understand that Michael was definitely tortured in his life and the lies sunk in and got through to people. And it was just normal. It became so normal that Jacko was a name that was synonymous with who Michael was without even taking a moment's notice of how hurtful that name is. That's how... Far removed we are from feeling each other's energy. 
It brings to mind of how people can be so cruel. Um, There are situations that I've run across in life where I have had to sit back and think how cruel the world actually is. A lot of people would be in denial about it, but I really think that the majority does rule. But you don't have to let it rule you. In saying that, we have people who get together in groups who have organizations who have they have sororities you've got fraternities you've got the moors um not the moors i'm sorry uh religions different religions you have the eastern stars you have the masons you have VFW, you can be a lifetime member. You have American Legion. You have the... There are just so many different organizations and groups out there. And in one of my episodes, I said, if you do not belong to some type of group, literally you can't live in life without belonging to some type of group or some type of organization. There's, it's just impossible for you to move along in the world. So, the world is set up so that you have to move in packs. And they make it so that it's very toxic and controlling. And in those packs, there is... In each and every pack... Okay, we're going to call we're going to call all these organizations, religions and things like that. We're just calling packs. So in each and every pack there is something where is you have to have the norm. And the norm is you must have sight. You must be skinny. All your faculties must be working. You must be this skin color. And if you're not, you're going to make sure that you are enabling a specific skin color. And if you don't have all of these in this pact, you're going to make sure that the pact that has all of these specifications, that they are put above everybody else and that you're the servant of them. Now, Follow me here. You won't have to live by that. You know, you can do your own thing. You're still free to do your own thing. But it is absolutely impossible for you to move around in this world without being a part 
of a group or something, whether it's belonging to a job, whether you have a job, um, you are an entrepreneur, you're a part of a group of entrepreneurs, you know, it's always something where you're together in a group, but it's, it's toxic and it's controlling. Now, God meant for us to live together. He meant for us to live together in harmony, to take care of each other, this earth, and the living things among it. I'm pretty sure he wanted us in groups. I'm pretty sure that he wanted us to be able to communicate with each other and to live together peacefully. But when man gets in it, they put their own spin on things. And so you have this specific race of people that have dominated the entire world and made the entire world think that their way of living and their way of life is it. And they are supreme above all. They are superior they make sure that you understand that unless you have money, unless you climb that ladder, unless you have this, this, and this, you ain't shit. You ain't shit. And we all know that's a lie. Some people drink that Kool-Aid. Some people believe that. Some people believe it, you know, and I just look at them and I'm just like, okay, all right. And I think to myself one day, you're going to hit that fucking wall. One day. So, where what am I getting at with all of this? I want to put a nice, good perspective in my opinion on this. And what I'm getting ready to talk about here. So we just got done listening to Paul talk to this James Dean Bradfield about he and Michael's collaboration on Say 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 and there's a remake and I like to say when did they do the remake so evidently that tells you what kind of impression that had on the entertainment field or the music industry to begin with. So we don't even need to discuss the remake. But there's a few things, a couple other things I'd like to address in this interview. You guys didn't listen to the whole thing. But you can go on YouTube and, and listen to Paul McCartney on writing with Michael Jackson from interview with James D. Bradfield. And this is on the Paul McCartney channel. He's only got 887 subscribers. This is on YouTube. It's not very many subscribers for a Beatle. 
It's pretty fucking poor. But if John Lennon were still living, John Lennon would be fucking... He would have... (laughs) Yeah. John Lennon was one of those dudes that couldn't survive the earth because... He just, it, it would have been a fucking different place. I mean, a lot of this shit that's happening, if Michael, John, Martin, Malcolm, you know, all the greats, all the good ones that wanted to get, make a change in this world, if they were still living, this evil that we know, it, <laughs> it wouldn't have any power. It wouldn't have any power. John Lennon, if he had a YouTube channel, I would say he would have about a hundred million subscribers to be to be totally honest with you, and probably more than that, probably more than that he was a he was a pretty good dude he was a pretty good dude the The two things I want to talk about in this video are uh um, the one thing that Paul says about Michael's voice, and I think it's coming up. I think I want to go ahead and finish playing that so you guys can hear that part. We, you know, when we were writing it, we were both in this sort of bad little, little sort of vibe. Yeah. Well, come, hey, <laughs> we were both, we were both, well, you know, that's kind of how he sings anyway. Yeah. So I was kind of going along with that. I didn't yeah. want to suddenly go, say, say, <laughs> you know, and he's doing the little voice. So I like doing that little voice as well, you know, so we were very similar. But I must agree on the new mix. Yeah. I- okay, so... He said, okay, so this is how I know Paul was not correcting James Dean Bradfield when he said Jacko. Because James D. Bradfield said when Paul was talking in the, how people always try to imitate Michael when he talks. They put Michael's voice high up like, you know, he's trying to sound like a woman and that's not what the fuck it is. Michael was just soft-spoken. He wasn't trying to make himself heard, make his presence known, or get attention from people. He didn't need to do that. All he needed to do was walk into a room. And so when you're talking to people, all you have to do is just let your voice come out naturally. And I'm not understanding how Michael's voice you know, I listen to him talk on the on videos and stuff and old recordings. And his voice does not sound nearly like how people when they try to mimic Michael. Don't sound like I've heard um like um Chris Tucker does it, um Eddie Murphy'll do it. There's a couple other people that supported Michael that'll kind of high pitch their voice when they're talking like Michael. And I've never understood why they do that. And I don't hold it against them. You know, Eddie Murphy, I got an issue with him. And I did a couple podcast episodes on him. I don't hold an issue with to, with Chris when he does it. Because it's like a little brother, big brother type thing. 
Um, you just make fun of people that you love. And it's not anything out of being spiteful or mean or evil. It's out of love. And you're talking about him out of love. And he probably was just, you know, when Chris talks about Michael, it's out of love. So I, I feel that energy. But when Paul does it, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, this dude's voice is high. And it's like, okay, whatever. But as you know, Paul and Michael did a couple of collaborations together. And it really did not sound like Paul was trying to reach Michael's vocals. It just sounded like it were two grown men singing. And, you know, I notice men when they try to have like this feminine... Well, they, they, they try to have this feminine way about themselves. They push this, you know, the, the, the high tone and like, girl, you know, you, you, Ooh, girl, you just, you know, they, they kind of just do a little bit too much with it. And Michael, he was just all natural. That's just how his voice sounded. And I would like for somebody <clears throat> somebody to put out a podcast uh not a podcast lord i would like for somebody to do a study or to do a um video or a little biography on michael's voice and why you know people say that it sounds feminine because to me i don't think it sounds feminine at all i think it just he just he that's just how his voice sounds and so you know, I'm not getting it. So I know that there are different levels to vocals. So all I ever knew was soprano, alto, and tenor. And there are like soprano tenors, soprano altos, soprano, 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 alto. You know, it would, it would, it would go like that. I'm not 100% sure. So I know there's more to vocal cords and bravados and runs and the tones of your voice. Because your voice is an instrument. If you can sing and you can carry notes and tunes and things like that, your voice is literally an instrument. So you can play. Your voice can do, like, if you do different um, exercises with your voice, do re mi fa so la ti do that's actually an exercise a voice exercise you get with a a vocal coach i don't see many of them around today because there's not really real music so why why would they be around they do everything by fucking computer it's nothing's natural anymore these singers out here wouldn't know how to fucking sing without music to save their lives but if you got with a vocal coach, the vocal coach could help you understand Michael's voice. And I think, and I, I'm now that I'm talking about it, I think there is a video out there uh, where about a guy who talks about Michael's voice. And I wish I would have kept that video because I sent it to somebody. I think I posted it on Twitter, and he was talking about Michael's voice, Michael Jackson's voice, and he was, he was, um, he was, he was. He was like, there's really not too many people that can do what Michael did because of, you know, it wasn't Mike. It wasn't Michael making his voice do that. It was just, you know, 
some people would say that it was, and I I disagree with that. I think that when Michael was singing, it was him. It was that that was his voice. And I don't think that he sounded feminine. He didn't sound like a woman to me at all. It just probably was a lot of men are just turned on by Michael and they don't want to admit it. And so they say that there's something wrong with him. That's what I think it is. I think really internally there's something wrong. There's, oh my gosh, let me say this slower because I just hit on something that I never talked about before. I honestly think that a lot of men who think that there's something wrong with Michael's voice are probably attracted to Michael low key and they just don't want to admit that shit. It probably turns them on. Not because Michael's voice sounds feminine to them, but because they're just turned on by Michael. So they have to find something wrong with him. So that's the thing that they hone in on is his voice and they make fun of him. So take that as you, however you want it. Um, I want to finish this up because I don't want to keep talking about this for too, too much longer. So I did a lot of uh, research today, reading and listening to videos of Paul McCartney and, you know, doing a little, you know, reading on his kids and his family and he's got grandchildren and things like that. And I was basically doing this episode because I was really irritated by the fact that Paul had some really nasty things to say about Michael buying the catalog. And I found a video that does a breakdown verbally of the catalog, but there's an article. Um, let me go to history. Hold on one second. I'm going to read the article to you guys. A brief history of the ownership of the Beatles catalog. And it is an article. Um, see, I thought it was the video that actually, you know, but they gave their source. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went to the source and I was like, well, I'm going to go ahead and go to the store source instead of letting you guys listen to the video and just read it from the source. So the source is billboard.com. It says a brief history of the ownership of the Beatles catalog. Let me see how long this shit is. Cause I might not even read the whole damn thing. No, it's not that long. Okay. So I listened to the video that cited the that cited this article. And I had I took issue with it because they made Paul look like the golden child, which, you know, I expected because he's white and um, you know, he was a beetle. I expected that. And they made Michael look like, you know, he was just uh he was penniless. He needed the money. And so he sold the catalog, some of the catalog to Sony. And I think it was Sony trying to get, it was Sony trying to get the catalog back from AVT, ATV. So let's go ahead and read this. 
This week, Paul McCartney filed a lawsuit in New York against publishers Sony slash ATV in an effort to regain his ownership stake in the Beatles publishing catalog and what would become one of the biggest legal struggles in recent music history. If successful, it would end a long and painful battle for McCartney over the ownership of his own songs. One that has involved everyone from early Beatles manager Brian Epstein to Michael Jackson, who bought the Beatles catalog in 1985 as a part of a $47.5 million deal for ATV. It wasn't Sony at that time. It was just ATV. And somebody else can go and break that ATV thing down at, at who was in charge of ATV at the time to let that catalog go like that, and Sony didn't get it. A situation that has long been painful for McCartney. Fuck McCartney. Though the fight has been going on for decades, it can be confusing to track the ownership of one of the most valuable catalogs in music history, and particularly how one of its main contributors was cut out of his own creations. Below is a brief timeline of the long and winding ownership tale of the Beatles catalog over the years. Now, hear me out. Somebody who is a cheapskate and does not want to spend their money and is selfish is not going to admit that shit. They're going to make themselves look good and golden and like they ain't do shit wrong. But when you hear what I'm about to read, you'll be like, that motherfucker had all that chance and he still didn't... Okay, 1963. In March 1963, the Beatles' debut album, Please Please Me, was officially released and Epstein sought a publisher for the songs written by McCartney, John Lennon, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. The company that resulted was called Northern Songs, majority owned by the publisher Dick James with Epstein. Lennon and McCartney, with the latter two songwriters owning 20% of the business apiece. Now that's understandable. They were, let's just blame it on youth and starting and all this old kind of shit. 1965, Northern Songs became a public company with Lennon and McCartney each owning a 15% stake and Harrison and Starr splitting a small percentage. Harrison later wrote in 1968's Only a Northern Song about the dissatisfaction with the, di with the diminished cut he received in the deal. And so you've got uh, the two songwriters owning 20% of the business apiece. Okay. So, what was the business? The company that resulted was called Northern Songs. So, then in 1965, Northern Songs became a public company with Lennon and McCartney each owning 15% stake and Harrison and Starr splitting a small percentage. 
So Harrison and Starr got fucked. Um, in 1969, after relations between the Beatles and James deteriorated, James sold his stake in Northern Star to ATV Music, owned by Lou Grade. Remember these? Remember this shit I'm talking about here. And despite Lennon and McCartney's attempts to offer a counter bid, ATV gained control of the catalog. Later that year, the duo sold their remaining shares to ATV, leaving them without a stake in the publishing of their own songs. They both controlled their own respective songwriting shares. Pay attention what I'm reading you here. 1985, ATV Music, having been acquired by Robert Holmes, a court was put up for sale. Michael Jackson, who had famously been told about the value of publishing by McCartney during the sessions for their 1982 collaboration, Say Say Say, purchased ATV's 4,000 song catalog for $47.5 million, becoming the owner of approximately 250 Lennon-McCartney songs, as well as tracks by Bruce Springsteen, the Rolling Stones, Elvis Presley, and more. McCartney, to say the least, was not pleased. Now, I have a problem with this fucking statement. It says that Paul McCartney... Listen, I'm going to read this again. Michael Jackson, who had famously been told about the value of publishing by Mike by McCartney during the sessions for their 1982 collaboration. This motherfucker is not solely responsible for educating Michael on shit. Michael knew and was hip to the motherfucking game when he was young and he made a decision on what he was going to do and he sought the right person to sit down and talk to about this shit. He probably thought Paul was a cool cat and came to find out Paul wasn't shit. So, Michael telling Paul, I'm going to buy the fucking catalog, bitch. You need to get up off your ass, your little cheap ass, and fucking, you know, buy your shit before I get it. Like, what the fuck? He had a chance to buy the shit. Why the fuck did he not? I'm not trying to talk for Michael or anything, y'all. This is how I feel about the whole situation. So I'll put myself in there. I'm like, I see this shit. I'm like, Michael told you. And he didn't have to, Michael didn't have to say shit to this motherfucker about shit. But this bitch talks about this over and over again in different uh, interviews. Michael told him three times he was going to buy the catalog. He said he was going to buy the catalog. He didn't say he was just out for the Beatles catalog. He was buying up some motherfucking shit and the Beatles catalog was in it. So before I buy the catalog, uh, Paul, why don't you go ahead and buy the Beatles catalog and y'all can have it for yourself. Take this opportunity. The door was open. They was opening the door for Michael to go and buy everything. And Paul decided not to dip in and get his shit and dip out. That's his fucking fault. He, Paul thought, this white man thought, 
a little black boy from Indiana that came from a one-bedroom home with 10,000 siblings was going to sit up and hand a white man his fucking catalog. You got to be out your damn mind. You dumb motherfucker. That's your fucking fault. That is your fucking fault. I don't see nothing wrong that Michael did in this shit. I don't think he was a shrewd businessman. I think Michael just did shit and he did what he said what the fuck he was going to do. Like, what is Paul complaining about? He's complaining because he thought Michael was going to do him like Elvis Presley didn't do his own people. That's what he thought. He thought that this little stupid black boy was going to buy that shit and he was going to get it for free. And Michael didn't do it like that. I don't want to say Michael made a fool out of him or made him look stupid, but I don't think that was Michael's intentions. It was Michael. It was just a business move. It was a smart fucking business move because a lot of artists don't own their shit. Still today, these motherfuckers did not learn from what the fuck Michael did with his shit. Because Paul McCartney is out here crying. If Paul would just be honest about his shit and be like, look, I'm a cheap ass. Michael opened the door for all of us to go in here and buy our own shit. And we didn't fucking do it. So this is our fault. So, you know, just own up to your shit, Paul. Stop fucking blaming the catalog situation on Michael. Blame it on your damn self, man. You're selfish, you're greedy, you're egotistical, you're arrogant, and, you know, you just fucking need to be honest about shit. Stop fooling people's asses with hot air. Because that's, every time he talks, he sits up and says all this shit. Makes himself look like the golden child. But you, I'm not buying it. So anyway, in 1995, amid reported financial issues, Jackson sold half of ATV to Sony for approximate for approximately a hundred million, and together the two formed Sony ATV Music Publishing, with Jackson and Sony each owning 50% of the company. In 2006, with financial problems mounting and shit, and a potential bankruptcy appearing imminent, Sony negotiated a deal on Jackson's behalf to reduce loan payments on his debts, and as a part of negotiations, retained an option to purchase 50% of Jackson's 50% ownership in the, in the future, which would give Sony 75% of ownership of the catalog according to the new york times the catalog was valued at the time around one billion and if jackson had gone bankrupt his share of the company would have gone to auction in the proceedings that followed in 2009 following jackson's sudden death in the at the age of 50 his share of the catalog came under control of his estate run by Jackson's attorney, John Bronca, and industry veteran, John McClain. After announcing their intent in 2016, after announcing their intention to trigger their purchase option of Jackson's stake in the company, Sony officially agreed to buy out Jackson's estates 
full 50% of Sony ATV for $750 million, making Sony the sole owner of Lennon-McCartney catalog, as well as Sony ATV's 750,000 songs. 2018, McCartney's lawsuit this week was filed with an eye on the U.S. copyright of 1976, which allows songwriters to return the publisher's share of the copyrighted works released before 1978 after a 56-year period comprised of two 28-year terms. For the earliest Beatles song that the term will be up in 2018, with the later songs eligible by 2026. That reversion back to McCartney is not assured, however. Duran Duran lost a similar suit against Sony in December. One additional note about Lennon's side of the issue. A provision of the law states that if the songwriter were to die within the first 28-year period, the writer's heirs would be eligible to recapture that publishing share. At the end of that first period, which in which in the Beatles' case would be 1990, Lennon died in 1980. The sources told Billboard that in 2009, the so- that Sony cut a deal with his wife Yoko Ono prior to the expiration of that period to retain ownership of Lennon's share for the duration of the copyright period, which covers the 70 years after the owner's death. In this case, 2050. I'm not understanding all this fucking lingo at the end. Um, I'm going to get to that other shit. I know y'all think I, I'm not going to go over that other stuff that we that I read. But I'm, I'm going to get to that. Uh, let me read this again. A provision of the law states that the songwriter would have died in the first 20 years. This is the devil's contract right here. Y'all remember that? Y'all going to have to start going into these offices and shit with magnifying with a magnifying glass. Them uh them things you hold in your hand, what's them things called? The magnifying I call it magnifying glass. It may be another word for it, but y'all gonna have to go in there motherfuckers with a magnifier to make sure that them lines you signing on, them itty bitty words you can't read, that shit ain't got some devil shit written in there. Cause this shit is fucked up right here. You put in your hard work, your talent into some shit and you can't even get the rights to the shit because the company that you work for got you bound to hell like i'm i'm not understanding this shit i'm not understanding this shit so let's go back and revisit some of this bullshit that we read shall we 1985 amid reported financial issues jackson sold half of atv how about we rewrite that shit Amid unreported pressures to make Jackson sell half of ATV because of the lies that were told on him in 1983, these motherfucking snakes get in there and give it to Michael. So Michael didn't give in to their shit. So they created some more shit in 2005 and took his ass, made him go to court for some bullshit. So in 2006, this is what happened. Sony ended up giving 75, getting 75% of the ownership of a catalog. 75% of the ownership Sony got. 
Because they fucked with Michael and they fucked with Michael and they fucked with Michael. Michael didn't have no fucking financial problems. These motherfuckers, it was some inside stuff that was going on with Michael. Like family stuff, bad, bad, you know, people coming into his life, telling him to do this and telling him to do that. Well, Michael wasn't a dummy. Michael wasn't a dummy. You cannot be a fucking idiot and buy... A whole, like, 750,000 songs. You can't be an idiot and do that. You just can't be stupid and do that. Michael was fucking brilliant. That's, they don't, that's what they don't want you to know. They don't want you to know how stupid they are and how brilliant Michael is. They're so dumb, they had to murder him. That's how fucking stupid they were. And then they turn around and they think they're going to make me believe I'm going to just put myself in this. They going to think they think they going to make me believe that Michael died from some fucking doctor being negligent and I'm not going to look at all this shit and think this shit this is calculated. This was an orchestration to get the fucking catalog back because they don't they want to own you. These fucking people want to fucking own you. Now there needs to be some research done on how Sony acquired ATV. How did Sony and ATV merge? And why did ATV let Michael buy the catalog? There's something wrong. Michael dealt with Sony in the beginning. Sony wasn't dirty. But then something happened within Sony. Something happened. That made Sony a fucking monster. And that is what I believe the that's what's gonna help us understand everything that's going on. I'm not gonna be descriptive. I'm not gonna say everything clearly, but I'm pointing out a lot of shit, and Sony is really looking like a bunch of rats right now. I mean, Paul McCartney is is in there as a rat. That's Paul McCartney is not a rat from the fact that um, he's he's a shrewd businessman, but he's a rat from the fact that he keeps telling this story, and he makes himself look like the golden child. I think Paul is one of those people that does not like to admit who he really is because he probably doesn't like himself very much he I don't know what happened with John Lennon and I think his murder was set up um I think that that was an inside job I don't think that that was something that just happened by a fan that that shit was planned and somebody needs to fucking do an investigation on that shit but um you know, people have been hushed-hushed about that for years. And because John is, you know, he was well-loved. But he was just doing too too much good in the world. He was sick of people's shit. He was tired of white people's shit. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to end this episode. Um, you know, this is going to be the last time I talk about Paul McCartney. And his... I call him rotten and dirty. Not for the fact that he may be a bad person, but he just does not like talking about who he really is. 
He's always talking about everybody else around him. He's always talking about other artists, who he's worked with, things like that. But really, who is Paul McCartney? Does he blame himself for Linda dying? Because I know him and Linda was thick as thieves, as far as what I could see. Um, I don't know the inside story of the home life and what it, what kind of person he was as a father. But Stella is is a is a strong force for him because she she makes she helps with the narration of her father looking like a golden child and i you know that's a daughter's love for her father you know she's 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 taken in and you know she was there when her mother died from breast cancer so that probably affected her too and so their relationship is probably really strong because they went through that traumatic experience together and they have that connection because that's his daughter. You know, they bought, both watched their loved one pass away and they couldn't do anything about it. So anything negative that's said about Paul, it's like Stella's not going to hear it because it's like, that's my dad for one. And anything bad that he says or does, I don't really give a shit because, you know, he suffered one of the most horrific things that anybody could suffer. And so I'm going to just not pay attention to that stuff. But I think that's wrong because there are a lot of people who go through traumatic events and still admit who they are and still talk about who they are. And I think Paul doesn't do enough of that. I think people... Um, don't give Paul enough room to be a human being. I think they give him a pedestal to stand on. And I think that he does his best to perform for people and to give people what they want. And I think that he doesn't want to ever lose that um, admiration that he gets from people. Um, I think that he... It's it's sad, but I think that he really needs to come clean um, with him being a cheapskate and not wanting to pay that money um, that that uh, ATV was offering for him to buy the catalog. You know, and at that time, Paul had the money. It was just no excuse for him to not make that purchase and buy the Beatles catalog. And I think that he just doesn't want to look like a piece of shit in front of the world. So, you know, he spends the story, he twists it around, make Michael look like the bad person and the culprit. And like Michael's a shrewd businessman, like he didn't give a fuck about anybody. But, you know, white people don't like it when we take care of our own and they think that we're supposed to do the same for them. And, and shit don't work like that because y'all already have shit easy. I know a lot of y'all, we can have this conversation over and over again. But I'm going to end it right there. You guys take care. I said what the fuck I said. I do not care who didn't like it, who has a problem with it. I'm not going to discuss it with you. But if you have some things that you want to add to the conversation about Paul McCartney and this this fucking catalog, catastrophe of a story, um you know, please add on, but you know, I, I stand with what I say, you know, Paul is old. He didn't got old. He's like in his eighties and you know, his daughter loves him and she really, she really trying 
Paris thinks he's a great guy. She really admires him. And it's just, there's a lot more that, that needs to come with admiration than just somebody's hard work because the devil works hard. So are you going to admire him too? You guys take care. Thank you for listening. Um, be blessed. Stay blessed. Remember Michael as he said he was. Don't listen to people. Remember him as he said he was. Pay attention to his words. Keep him in your heart. Take care. You know what that means. Episode is over. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting me. Keep Michael in your heart. Be well. Stay safe. Mask up.